Hey everybody, what's up? It's me, Carolyn Page. Thanks so much for listening today. I want to start off today. This is the final chapter in the Children of the Nameless series by Brandon Sanderson. It's been such a wild ride. It's been so much fun. Um, just to let all of you guys know, I am going to be taking a break from the podcast for a little while. I have not been able to post as regularly as I would like. And for that, I apologize and thank you so much for your patience and like sticking it out. And thank you so much to all the patrons who've supported me. I'm going to put the Patreon on pause, on hold. So we're not gone. We're not gone forever. Um, And when I'm back, you'll be the first to know. But the Patreon will be paused and I'm going to take a couple of months off. Try and take this to the next level. You know what I mean? Because I love magic. And that's really why we're all here. Anyways... Thanks so much for listening. As always, let's jump right in. Chapter 19. Unison It was an angel, with its wings nailed to the wall. A beautiful yet otherworldly figure of pale, selenic skin and gossamer hair. Clad in a red and white robe, she slumped on the floor of the otherwise dull chamber. Colorful against gray, like rose on a grave. Her head bowed. Her wings were spread behind her like battle banners unfurled, but they'd been pierced by thick iron spikes that had been pounded directly into the cracks in the stone wall. Transfixed, Davriel forgot the geist. The pain of his compounding headaches, anger, frustration, even a hint of fear, each bled away before this incredible sight. The nameless angel. She was real. She was here. She was entrancing and she was dead. The figure didn't stir as to send a felt her way into the room, then knelt. She reached out, caressing the angel's doll-like face, then cupped it and lifted it in her hands, feeling at the skin. Since the girl's eyesight was gone, she didn't seem to notice that the angel's throat had been slit. That robe must have been pure white. The scarlet coloring was blood. What an incredible waste. What an injustice that something so beautiful had been ruined here in this crude prison. This was a place where men died. Something this heavenly should not have been forced to suffer such a mundane fate. Fool man, Davriel thought, angry at himself. Your morality betrays you. This thing wasn't pure or grand or innately good. It was simply created to evoke those emotions in you. In any case... This was no secret passage out. The hidden stone door that Tisenda had opened looked in only at the small box of a prison. He turned back toward Willia. The young woman stood in the doorway to the small funeral chamber, glowing green spirits gathering around her to light the hallway behind. Candles flickered in their alcoves, casting an inconsistent glow over the bodies of the newly dead who awaited burial. Willia stared past him, toward the angel, she doesn't decompose. Nobody knows why. The blood stays wet all these months. They made Rom do it, you know. They'd locked her away when the madness struck her, and Rom, he came to the Priory to escape the blood. But as soon as he got here, they made him kill our guard. She looked up, haunted, meeting Davriel's eyes. I came back here after the first time I, I used the power after I took my parents. I didn't say what I'd done, but I begged for the priest to promise me, promise me, that the angel was real. They gave me false assurances, but Rum, I don't think he could bear it. He brought me down here and showed me. 
And that's when I knew. Nobody can protect me. I have to do it myself. The entity will consume you, Davriel whispered. It will feed your powers until they destroy everything you've ever loved. I don't care, she said. I know you don't right now, but you will. Willie appointed, and the geist, who had stopped outside near her, flooded into the room toward Davriel. Hellfire! What did he have left? The spell to summon a weapon? Useless. To send his warding power? Only a sliver of it remained. The ink spell? He could write his last testament on the walls as his spirit was ripped from his body. He had only two cards left to play. The entity and the power to leave. Davriel moved backward, soon bumping into Tessenda, who had still knelt before the dead angel. She was crying softly, a mournful song leaving her lips. A part of Davriel knew he had to run, leave this plane, slip through the blind eternity's escape. Deep down, he knew that his last ability he had was the source of his confidence. If things got too bad, he could always run. You... You really are just a coward, the entity said inside him, as if surprised. I thought when you fled before it was wisdom. You saw that the ones hunting you were too powerful. But now, now you could have enough strength to defeat them if you wanted. And still, you think of fleeing. Davriel gathered his concentration, and pushing aside both the entity and thoughts of fleeing, slammed his will into Willia's mind. He imagined his strength as a sword piercing her skull. Willia grunted, stumbling back. Her control slipped. She was untrained, unpracticed, so just for a moment, Davriel touched the power lurking within her. Hellfire. Davriel's mind had expanded like an explosion. In the blink of an eye, he saw a hundred different planes— he saw millions of people living and loving and eating and sleeping and breathing and dying and never knowing just how tiny they were. The same thing had happened to him when he'd first touched the entity all those years ago. Most people were so... so insignificant. But some... some individuals moved worlds. Some individuals created worlds. He wanted so desperately to be one of those, a person who controlled fate rather than living by it. It was the great contradiction of his life, perhaps every life. He acknowledged that the world worked by incentives. At their core, people were creatures of instinct. Yet, Davriel Kane wanted to believe he was different. His control slipped. He was too tired, and the power inside Willio was too vast. Unless he used his entity, he would never be able to defeat it. Davriel was forced back, and awareness of the room returned. The geist surrounded him. They clawed at him, their icy hands sinking into his skin, brushing his soul. Devriel groaned, sagging, held up by the multitude of spectral hands. They picked at his spirit like ravens at the intestines of the battlefield dead. To send a song grew louder, a dirge for the fallen. Devriel grunted beneath the touch of the whisperers and felt his soul, his very being, slipping from his body. He used the last sliver of Tessenda's power to resist them, and it just barely prevented his soul from being taken. But in that moment, he broke down and tried to flee. He tried to send himself into the blind eternities and leave this plane. He failed. For the first time in ages, Davriel Kane felt a true panic. It is time, the entity said. You know it is. No, Davriel thought, smelling blood and smoke. 
Why? the entity demanded. Why do you resist? Use me. No. Why? Why would you choose death? I, Davriel screamed, will not be that man again. He closed his eyes, waiting for the inevitable. I see, the entity said. You are not the person I thought you to be. So be it. Die then. I will find another. His strength exhausted, his options expended. Davriel fell slack in the grip of the geists. And yet, their fingers on his soul loosened. He opened his eyes. Around him, the geists had stopped moving, withdrawing their hands. They were looking to the side. Toward the dead angel? No. Toward Tessenda. Her humming voice rose in the room. The song had never worked on these creatures. He didn't completely understand why or how or what had changed. It's her song, he thought. The one she's humming. Is it different? Exhausted, he reached inside himself and found one of the only spells he had left and used it. A simple summoning charm. The vial appeared in his hand. To Senda, he said. Whatever you're doing, keep going. Tessenda cradled the face of the dead angel humming the song, the one she had heard in the distance leading her here. Around her, the sound of the whisperers faded. She heard her vial somewhere, suddenly responding to her song, like a call and a reply. Everything around her was the second darkness, and yet she looked upward, and something seemed to shimmer, glowing above her, a figure made of pure white light with wings that seemed to extend into eternity. Descenda, Davriel said. She felt him scrambled up to her, crawling across the stone floor. This song, it's... it's different. The whisperers have frozen as they listen to it. Even your sister seems transfixed. It's a song I don't know, she whispered, breaking it off. I've forgotten it. That makes no sense. Just get back to singing. Instead, Descenda reached upward toward the light. The figure reached out its hand, touching hers. The angel's soul, Descender whispered. It's still here, trapped, like those of the faithful. That's nonsense, Davriel said. Angels are creations of magic, like demons. They have no souls. And yet, Descender touched the light. Child, a somehow familiar voice said. Why have you stopped singing? How can I sing that song, she whispered, when they're all dead, when I've forgotten the warmth of the sun, when I've lost even my sister to the true darkness? How can I possibly sing now? Because this is when songs are most needed. The song of warding doesn't work. It's what they needed, but it didn't save them. She lowered her head. There's no light left, and I cannot see. That is the secret, Descenda. What do you do when the night grows cold and the darkness comes for you? She looked up. What song would you sing, the voice asked, if you were to choose? Does it matter? It always mattered. Listen to the music, child, hear it, and sing. Descenda started to hum. Again her vial responded, encouraging. Something stirred inside her and she rose, resting her fingers on Davriel's shoulder. She took the vial carefully from his hands, then stepped back into the funeral chamber. 
She walked as if into a cold wind, among the spirits of the dead. These whispers had once been her people. They were not monsters. They were her friends, her family, people she loved. They had simply forgotten that. It was time to remind them. Tacinda opened her mouth and sang, not the warding song. That had always been the song of the first darkness, sung while the people slept. A song of haunted places and barred doors. As she felt their fingers upon her skin, she sang a different song. The song of her youth, the song she'd sung to them while they worked. The song of lives lived. A joyful song, an emotion that kindled as she let it out. Cold fingers on her skin seemed to warm as she remembered days in the sun, a light she could not see but could feel nonetheless. Days singing joyful tunes to the workers, the women of the village, the children who danced around her. It was so hard to find warmth in the darkness. But when the night grew cold and the darkness came for you, that was when you needed to light a fire and make your own light. Davriel pulled back against the wall. He'd been too tired to rise, too tired to do anything but crawl toward the girl. To send a song washed through the room, an incongruously, almost impossibly joyful sound. It was not a song one expected in a crypt or on a night spent fleeing ghosts. The geist stood mesmerized before this strange, almost forgotten emotion. Their master, Tessenda's sister, turned her head and closed her eyes, as if confronted by a sudden unbearable light, though Davriel saw no such thing. The faces of the geist began to melt. Or, no, they began to unmelt. Quivering ceased, distortions reversed, hollow eyes blinked with awareness and mouths shrank from gaping maws into cautious smiles. All around him... Terrors of the night became washwomen, farmers, smiths, and children. Never in his life had he been so happy to see a group of peasants. That song filled the chamber. It made stones rattle like percussion. It thrummed through Davriel, a jubilant, elated melody. He found himself standing up, his fatigue lost before that amazing, exultant sound. Willia, however, growled. She seemed to visibly shake as she howled in anger, scrambling forward, losing all semblance of control. She reached toward her sister as if to grab Tessenda and strangle her, or pull the power by force from her. No, you don't, Davriel thought, pointing at her and summoning the last remnants of a fading spell inside his mind. The ink spell. With it, he painted Willia's eyes black. She screamed immediately, stumbling and falling to the ground. The darkness! No, I banished you! She trembled, holding out her hands, unable to see them. The second darkness! Hellfire. To send a song overwhelmed Willia's mournful cries. The tune was so blasted optimistic it made him want to dance. Him. Davriel resisted the urge as the song infused the catacombs. Crips vibrated with the enthusiastic, eager tune, and even the bones seemed to be rattling with excitement. The geist began to walk toward Tessenda, pulsing with the green light that was somehow more alive than the sickly glow that expressed earlier. One by one they merged into Tessenda their light adding to one that grew around her. Dozens upon dozens of them walked into the room, moving with increased speed, joining that pulsing light. Until at last, Tazenda stood alone above the cowering form of her sister. I don't understand, Willia said, clawing at her face, trying to make herself see. What happened to the geists? They remembered who they were, Tazenda said. That song, Willia looked up. I remember that song. Descenda, I just want to escape the darkness. I know. But you shouldn't have done so by banishing it to everyone around you. 
Descender reached out and touched her sister. I'm sorry, but for you, Willia, there must be a third darkness. Descender pushed her sister lightly, and Willia's body fell backward. Then a puff of light emerged from her. A soul, sickly and green. It distorted, then quietly vanished, fading away. As soon as Willia died, a second, far more powerful green light burst from her corpse and streamed into Descenda. Descenda tipped her head back, eyes opening wide as the light encompassed her. This is your final chance, the entity said inside Davriel. She will be overcome by the power for a short time, and your talent gives you an ideal opportunity. Reach out and take her power, Davriel. You could still have us both. The entity was right. By instinct, Davriel reached out, and he found that the completed power of the bog was settling within Tessenda. It didn't rebuff him as it had before. For the moment, it was as confused as she was. He could take it. In that moment, he saw himself as the bearer of both entities. He'd become a being with unrivaled strength. He saw kingdoms bending to his will. He saw himself with power over fate, over destiny, over millions of lives. Such power. Such incredible power. And such misery. Broken bodies as far as the eye could see. He saw himself as that terrible man sitting upon a harsh throne. He saw himself forced to destroy rival after rival. No time to rest, no time for fiddling with word puzzles, no quiet nights spent reading while Miss Highwater tried to figure out how to cook human food. Davriel Kane was no hero. But he knew what he wanted from life. He'd discovered that truth after terrible personal experience. He would not become that man again. And so he withdrew his hand and left the power alone. Tessenda's sight returned. She gasped as light blossomed inside her, a wonderful, pure, verdant light, a light that seemed so powerful as to shine through stones as if they were paper. You have been chosen, a voice said in her mind, and you have done well. Tessenda fell to her knees before the power, which somehow she already knew intimately this power that had created her and given her purpose, the power they'd called the bog, the secret of the approaches, her destiny. You, she whispered, you are in all of us, everyone in the approaches, but strongest in my sister and me, an accident splitting between us? No, I often seek the strongest host, the entity said, Though once the priory began to siphon away my power, I had to accelerate the process. The light grew, consuming all that she saw. Her soul vibrated with the pure beauty of its song, and within the entity she saw the souls of thousands who'd been nurtured here in the approaches. The entity seeding its power among them, letting it grow with their souls, then reclaiming it again, enhanced and aged when the people died. My sister, she said. Can we restore her? Can we make things go back? Back to the way they were before? No. Your sister's choices changed her, and those around her forever. That is life and growth. I don't like it, Tisenda said. I rediscovered the song of joy. Shouldn't that make things better? 
Different, yes, but better as a matter of human perception. Regardless, I will not force you to bear me. If you wish to release me to another, you may do so. Or in turn, you can keep me and use my strength as your power. What? What will that do to me? she asked. Will I become evil like Willia became? That depends on your choices. But you cannot go back to being what you were either way. You can return to your village without me and be forever changed. Or you can take me and be forever changed. For only the dead ever stop changing. Tessenda wavered, then settled on a decision. I will bear this power. Perspective slammed into her like the weight of a mountain. She saw, saw worlds, hundreds upon hundreds of them, so many people. Power permeated her. She knew instantly the generations who had lived in the approaches, memories of the ages, the essence of all those who'd come before. She gasped beneath the weight of it, becoming one person with ten thousand souls. And then she let some go. The entity didn't like it, but she was its master. She would not keep the souls of those who could still live. She gave back Jorgo and his family. Dachna, the schoolteacher. Miller Hedvika, Ram and the priest. Every person whose body still lived, waiting for the spirit to return. That didn't include her parents, who had no bodies to which they could return. Those souls snuggled in against her own, warm and soft, but not her sister's soul. Descenda had recovered the power she held, but poor Willia. She was just gone. Descenda's glow expanded. She was the power, the souls, the entity of the bog, Descenda of Verlassen, and a thousand others all at once. Descenda turned, looking at the poor corpse in the prison, its wings nailed to the wall. I saw the angel's soul. I touched it. I know nothing of this, the entity said. I do not think it possible. Yet it was true. She was a child of two worlds, two gods, two ideals. As she considered it, something deep within her exploded, awakening at the power. Wait. She stepped up to Davril, who was actually looking haggard. She reached and touched the side of his face. Thank you, she said her voice overlapping to her own ears as if a thousand people had said it. Then she stabbed her power into his head and withdrew the small piece of her strength he had taken from her earlier in the night. But never try to reach inside my mind again. Then, complete for the first time in her life, Tessenda vanished. Epilogue To Davriel... Headaches were a familiar kind of pain. The kind of pain a family member could inflict. The kind of pain you had known for so long you sometimes welcomed it because you recognized it so well. The kind of pain you almost mistook for something else entirely. He settled down in the prioress's chair, behind her desk, sighing and holding his cup of tea. He worked a little further on the contract before him, written in demonic script, but that headache did make it difficult. Why can't you fix the headaches again? He asked the entity. It didn't respond. Still sulking, he asked. 
because I didn't take the power. Contemplating, it said softly. I had always assumed that someday you would awaken. I've been forced to see that might not be the case. You are not worthy of me, and never were. Don't be like that, Davriel replied. Think how jealous you'd have been with another entity dividing my attention. You have failed greatly, Davriel Kane, it said. You will know the cost of this day. You will curse yourself when that which you love burns, not because you had too much power, but because you lacked the strength to stop your enemies. Davriel shivered. There was something about the way the entity spoke, a hostility he had never known from it before. They will come for you, the entity warned. Those who search for you will hear what has happened. You have just ensured that you will never, ever be able to hide again. It fell silent. Davriel sighed softly, then took a sip of his tea. For the moment, that deliciously floral taste in his mouth, he didn't really care about the entity. He gladly felt the tea soothing him. It always had helped with the headaches. On the floor in the front of his desk, a body stirred. The prioress blinked open her eyes. Elsewhere in the priory, Davriel heard calls as the other priests started to wake up. The girl had restored their souls before leaving. He'd ascertained that when he'd found the prioress breathing, but it seemed that it took a little while for their bodies to recover. The prioress sat up, putting her hand to her head. She looked up and frowned, noticing Davriel at her desk. "'You lied to me, Melinda,' Davriel said softly. "'You have kept terrible secrets from me.' "'I—' He held up the tea. "'I found an entire tin of and dust will own your cupboard,' he said. I expect you to explain yourself post-haste. She frowned. Also, Davriel noted, there's the small matter of the deific angel kept locked in your catacombs, an angel who is slowly siphoning power away from the bog, building a crescendo of untapped strength that begged for some foolish mortal to abuse it. But really, let's keep our attention on the serious problems. You explicitly told me you're out of tea— she pulled herself to her feet and glanced out the window at the risen sun. What happened? Hmm, Davriel said, sipping his tea. Oh, Willie Everlassen killed her parents by accident after reclaiming the power locked in the catacombs. She returned here, intending to confess, then lost her faith when she found out you'd murdered her god. She instead began gathering the power of the bog and, enthralled by its promises, started to pull the souls out of the people of Everlassen. Hellfire. Prioress muttered. Young Willia, are you sure? Well, the first few times she tried to kill me last night, I was a little uncertain. But when she actively commanded an army of geists to rip my soul from my body, the truth finally dawned on me. He sipped his tea. I stopped her, by the way. You're welcome. It was your duty, she said, as Lord of the Approaches. I really should have read the entire contract, Avril said. Where was the part about cleaning up your messes? Right after the articles of caveat emptor, I assume? She didn't reply, instead standing in the sunlight and closing her eyes, then letting out a long sigh. Devriel rested his fingers on a sword he'd placed on the desk, long, curved, and wicked. Poor Crunchnar. Was it strange that Davriel was going to miss the sour fool? He'd never found another demon who was that fun to tease. We will need to prepare, Davriel said, sipping his tea. 
After the events of last night and this morning, we may see an increase in inquiries after me, ones we will not find easy to turn aside. She glanced at him. I am still rather put out to find a dead god in your basement, Melinda. She wasn't our god, Pryrus said, any more than the bog was. She was our burden. Both were. Well, now there's someone else's burden, poor girl. What do you mean? the prioress asked, turning. Then she paled, looking at what he'd been writing. Have you been profaning my priory with demonic magic, Cain? How dare you? He looked up, pointing his pen at her. Don't even start, just don't. Besides, this is barely magic. It's more a legal document encouraging the dark forces, reminding them that there is one being most likely to win my soul above all others. Hopefully. Almost he would pray to that dead angel if he thought it would help. Please. His heart leaped as he heard a group of startled screams echoing from below. He jumped to his feet, tucking a bundle under his arm and pushing out into the hallway. The prioress followed as he dashed down the steps, following the shouts and entered the catacombs. He quickly walked to the small chamber where the seal and stone had once been kept. Several young priests were in the room, screaming in fear. Likely they'd been trying to find a way to put the trinket back together. If so, they'd been interrupted by a dark figure forming from smoke in front of them. Davriel quickly took off his cloak and settled it on the dark form as it took shape. It wasn't entirely covering, however, and so the prioress gasped as Miss Highwater appeared. One of the priests actually fainted. Don't gawk, Davriel said to the others. It only encourages her. The demon caught his eye and smiled. Relief flooded through him. It was her smile. He'd been half afraid a new creature would be created to fill the instructions he'd written. Did we win? she asked him. Honestly, I'm not sure, Davriel replied. My peasants are back, but our little musician girl absconded with an ancient and incalculably valuable power. Miss Highwater, true to form, held out her hand expectantly. He smiled, then unwrapped her ledger from the bundle of clothing he was holding and handed it to her. She eyed the priests, who were trying to inch out of the room. The prioress, showing good sense, had folded her arms, but didn't appear like she was going to make any demands of him. Only one fainted, Miss Highwater muttered. I really am losing my touch, aren't I? And you? You let the girl get away with the power of the bog? Really? I was busy mourning Crunchnar's untimely demise. You sap, she said, flipping through her ledger and the notes at the back. Joe, call you want, but I know you're going to miss him. Anything else I should know? The priests were hiding an angel. They locked her up when she went mad, then made poor Rom slit her throat. Cute, she said, and I'm supposed to be the demon. They might be in the market for a new object of worship, Davriel said. You could apply. What do you suppose is their policy on nudity? I'd guess somewhere in between. Hell no, and oh, angels above, my brain is melting. But remember, they do have nice hats. She chuckled. I'll pass. I believe I still have unfulfilled contract with a certain willful diabolist. As for Tacinda, I suppose I'll need to track her down. Really, Dav, how did you let her filch that power from you? Perhaps I just didn't want it. Miss Highwater snapped her ledger closed, narrowing her eyes at him. 
Desinda really did deserve the entity, he said. She did most of the work, singing and reclaiming the souls of the villagers. You should have seen her. It was very heroic. You don't believe in heroism? Nonsense, he said. I absolutely accept that it is an attribute others believe they possess. As for Miss Velasson, well, the truth is that I needed to prove a point. By doing nothing. Nothing is a very thing to which I am best suited. He held out his arm to her, and she took it. Come, do you think we can expect the peasants to get back to the harvest today? They've spent an entire day dead, so they should be well rested, and I appear to be down to a single tin of tea. The end. Well, folks, that's it. Wild ride. I'm going to miss these characters. Thank you all so much for listening today, and always, if you've been listening for a while, thank you so much. If you just started listening, thank you so much. I'm Carolyn Page. I'm on Instagram and Twitter uh, at MTG with CP, so if you want to say hi, do it. Get at me. And also, um, if you miss me while I'm taking a hiatus from the podcast, then you can check me out on Dorkly on YouTube or at dropout.tv where I also talk about magic stuff sometimes and magic lore stuff. All right, thank you so much. You're all mighty planeswalkers. Happy planeswalking. Bye-bye.